You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. I'm Rodney Davis. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Welcome to The Beltway Briefing with your host, Towner French. Uh, filling in for Howard Schweitzer, who's on assignment this weekend. Thank you, Rodney, Mark, Caitlin are with us this week. And uh, uh, I have never moderated before. And so I'm getting power drunk on uh, having the mic. But uh, but looking the forward floor to... floor is yours, Towner. Go for it. <laughs> I have so many things I want to say, but then none of them come to you when you actually have the opportunity. So instead... I am going to turn it over for our weekly March college basketball report from Mr. Mark Alderman, the pool manager extraordinaire, who was set up to tell us that Rodney was in the lead and now he's not anymore. So the headline is that uh, Congressman Davis is no longer in the lead, nor will he be returning to the lead anytime this year. It's done. Great. Feels like a primary I once ran. It's <laughs> I don't have the uh, rankings in front of me, but when I checked last night before Gonzaga beat UCLA, so this may have changed a little, the top five entrants in this pool were all women. So I think uh, we have a gender thing going on here, Caitlin. I know this isn't your thing, uh, the, the tournament. But uh, we have no congressman anywhere near the leaderboard this week. <laughs> Caitlin, did you put in a bracket this year? I, I did not. I did not. But when I, I completely missed it and I forgot. But last time I did it, I think I just sort of Christmas traded and said, oh, this looks like a good idea. But isn't that how people tend to win? I mean, that's, that's how folks win. You know? It's as good a way as any. Absolutely. And shout out to Florida Atlantic University in the Elite Eight. That is my mom's, one of my mom's alma maters. Uh, and she she is not no longer with us, but wherever she is, she is cheering on. I don't even think I know their nickname. Are they the Owls, maybe? They're the Owls, I believe, yes. They are the Owls, yeah. yeah. Well, Mark, you have an FAU fan in me as well. As a as a avid Duke uh, fan, uh, Tennessee knocked us off uh, by literally knocking us off. They are a team uh, that should, I think half of them probably should be in jail for some of the aggressive <laughs> nature that they took against FAU and Duke over the last two weeks. So uh, I was very pleased to see that uh, they will be making it. So, and hopefully police officers were waiting for them after the showers. Yeah, Rodney. Probably. They were probably still uh, waiting outside of the Alabama loss to make some arrests. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that I mean, is true too. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's, I didn't even check. Alabama's out, right? I mean, they lost to No, tennis. no, no. No, they're, they're still, still in. in. Okay. So Alabama's still in. Yes. I, I mean, you realize their star player actually took a firearm to somebody who killed someone. Yes. Only in Alabama well, would you still remain on the team. To a team now, this, So you guys got to help me here. I have three experts on this. I'm, I'm fortunate. Got to help me here. That's not a Second Amendment right, Rodney. You don't. You don't have a Second Amendment right to give a guy a gun. Well, you don't. You, you have a Second Amendment right to do that, but not when they're using it to commit a crime. Okay. Well, good. Good to so, know. 
Good I to think know. the deal was <laughs> first of all, guns to felons, Mark. Yeah, well, it was the guy's gun and the guy who did the shooting's gun and his friend, who by the way is probably one of the top two or three basketball college basketball players in the nation, who's going to be drafted extremely high probably next year uh, into the NBA. The story goes, he didn't know. Uh, he The guy just texted him, told him, hey, can you bring me my gun? And because he was picking him up anyway. And so he just took the gun from their shared apartment, I believe, put it in the car so that the individual could uh, that did the shooting, his teammate uh, could uh, could have access to it. So police apparently looked at this and cleared him. I, I um, obviously. Yeah. Not a good look, though. No, not a good look at all. Not a good look. Listen, same same cops that, that cleared the Murdoch family of everything in South Carolina, too. Yeah, yeah. The whole the whole uh, team moved down from South Carolina, fled South Carolina to Alabama, and then ran right into this one. So, well, uh, the, the, the sheer fact I didn't realize that Alabama was still in it, you gotta wonder why I'm not in first place anymore. Yeah, it kind <laughs> of explains that. San Diego State University can. Uh, can serve justice and knock out the Alabama criminals tonight. We'll see. We'll see. But turning to the news of the week, I want to go chronologically here. So maybe we'll start first with the pending indictment of Donald Trump, or so Donald Trump says. Caitlin, do you want to walk us through a little bit of what was going on earlier this week? And uh, as we all seem to be on, on indictment watch and the grand jury goes on and on. Sure. Well, I I think I woke up this morning to President Trump warning of potential death and destruction. I don't know what the heck he is truth socialing about or what's going on, but a little concerning that he's out there on uh, social media again, inflaming and encouraging violence. And I think we should all, as Republicans, be condemning that. It was sort of an interesting week. Every day we we thought we would hear news out of New York on a potential indictment. Though I do think some, you know, there there has been some politi- politicization of this whole, you know, situation, but each day comes and we haven't seen an indictment yet. I know a lot of, you know, folks are on high alert and unfortunately the se- topic seemed to dominate the uh, Republican House retreat that w- was taking place earlier this week. Curious what Rodney's thoughts are there, but um, I think every day, you know, we're kind of waiting to see what happens. And it's, it's a little, you know, here, look, there's a lot we could, we could, that Donald Trump did wrong that we could be talking about and litigating. The fact that this is coming down to hush payments to a porn star is a little ridiculous, but um, I don't like, you know, what he's been doing on social media with, um, kind of whipping up fervor among um, his supporters. And I don't think that's a good look either. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Ron, what's the conference doing? It, 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 as Caitlin said, it did dominate a couple of days of the House Republican Issue Conference where they wanted to talk about issues. And this was the only issue that they seemed to be able to talk about. Well, name me a Republican Issues Conference since Donald Trump got elected president that Trump has not dominated the conversation. Um, it, it, it doesn't matter as, as somebody who served during the Trump administration and then after the Trump administration, it doesn't matter if Donald Trump actually hid for a week and didn't do anything. 
the media would still ask a Trump question to every Republican member of Congress. Somebody did a chronological order of a press conference, like what questions were asked. And it was like Trump question, Trump question, debt limit, Ukraine, Trump, 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 debt limit again, because somebody must have forgot about it. But in the end, the media make sure that Donald Trump is the only thing that Republicans are asked about. So unfortunately, you know, the members of Congress, they kind of get numb to any Trump issue because they're constantly having to address whatever the issue of the day is. And that doesn't negate the fact that here we are, we have a state DA, a state DA that is charging the former president of the United States with something that the DOJ and even more importantly, because this would be an possible FEC violation, the Federal Elections Commission violation, the FEC decided not to pursue this. This is one of those instances, and you know, the only reason I'm on this podcast is because of Donald Trump. He came out against me in my primary and beat me. I don't have a lot of love loss for the guy. I hope he's not our nominee. But in this case, I do believe this DA is showing that there is a two-tiered system of political justice just because of his hatred of the former president right now. And, and a key thing to watch, beginning to watch real quick, is notice one name keeps popping up right now in this saga. It's Lanny Davis. Never underestimate the ability of Lanny Davis to put himself out front on any issue. And watch that name. Watch Lanny over the next few weeks to be able to see if his star is going to shine. And, and Lanny ought to be careful because what this DA is doing is going to be investigated in an oversight capacity by Congress. And Lanny's about ready to get himself at a point where he's going to be subpoenaed to come testify. Mark, what, what's coming up? What do you think crystal ball wise? It feels like if you believe Trump, they've delayed this indictment now for going on a third day and there's additional witnesses. But do you think it's moving ahead or, or not? It's unfortunate is what it is, in my view. Um, all four, no one is above the law. And if anyone else would be indicted for this, then Trump should be too. But I think uh, the fact that this appears to be the first indictment, if in fact the crystal ball is right and it happens, Towner, that, that fact disproves the vast left-wing conspiracy that you three are always uh, hypothesizing, because nobody, <laughs> nobody on the Democratic side of the strategic aisle thinks that this is the best way to bring Donald Trump to justice. Uh, Georgia case, election interference, you know, you January 6th, there's so many potential indictments that are working their way through the process, I think, right now. Wouldn't it wouldn't one of those be have been so much better? Were, <laughs> yes. Were I in charge of the conspiracy? George Soros, of course, is in charge of the well, conspiracy. Yes. And I someone would have to ask George why he decided to bring this case first. But it it's not. It's not the case I would choose to bring Trump to justice, but I'm curious, Rodney, because I I, I think I missed it. What, what is Lanny Davis's role in this saga? Uh, Lanny Davis, I believe, is the attorney for Michael Cohen. So ah, Cohen okay. obviously, Cohen obviously played a role in this because he went to jail right. for something involved in this case and. 
Uh, Lanny Davis is trying to make Michael Cohen out to be the victim of, of, of this case. And so, frankly, you know, this case would try to make Michael Cohen out because he obviously would be the star witness of a convicted criminal, a star witness. But Lanny Davis, I, I will tell you, I had to work a case one time on an issue. And Lanny, the, the firm that was asking me to advocate some, for something on their behalf, uh, in my home state when I was a member of Congress, uh, hired Lanny Davis to kind of be a part of this advocacy issue. And I learned very quickly that what Lanny Davis might tell you in a conference room will then be completely different when he has a conversation with the New York Times. And you look at today's political playbook, it's not an issue, it's not a discussion about when will Donald Trump be indicted or is this going to be a never-ending possible indictment timeline. It wasn't about why Michael Cohen should be the most believed person in America, his client. It was about Lanny Davis. <laughs> and this guy is the epitome, the epitome of what is what is wrong with longtime Washington political figures who just focus on themselves. And there's no better poster child than Lanny Davis. All right. Well, we'll we'll be watching uh, for his name in in future episodes here. But I I don't have that crystal ball. I'm kind of hoping that this just keeps going until one of the other cases matures. It would be a, a lot better, I believe, for the uh, the country if a different case came first, but- which could still happen. It, it could still happen. And and Caitlin, I'd be interested to get your thought. Does this if they don't move forward with the indictment, does this continue? Not only did it raise Trump's profile again for another presidential run, but does this continue the sort of Teflon Don uh, sort of, you know, persona that uh, that everybody really got into from the Republican side in 2016 that led to, to more support for him? No, I, I agree with Mark. I think this past week has has unfortunately done more to solidify support for Trump among his base and also to kind of feed it. He's been saying all along, look, the deep state, the, you know, deep seated government, they're, they're against me. They tried to get me to, you know, be unable to run in 2016. Here they are doing it again. The, you know, it's all rigged against me. And unfortunately with, you know, this past week and what's going on in this New York case, and if he does get indicted, i fear that that only does more to actually help him. I would prefer we were talking about, you know, some of our other candidates in the race this morning, not again, you know, talking about former President Donald Trump. And I don't think it's necessarily if there is no indictment that, you know, back to this whole, he could shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue and get away with it. I I think this is, like Mark said, a really, really terrible case agree with Rodney. It was very political that that it's even, you know, DOJ didn't want to, um, the former the former prosecutor walked away from the case, didn't think there was a there there. There's a question about being way beyond the statute of limitations here. I fear that this does nothing more than actually help him. Yeah. yeah. I just want to be clear, though, if I may, I am not saying that on the merits, it is a case that should not be brought. My view is, If anyone else would get indicted for this, then Donald Trump should too. However, however, I I am, I have a new bumper sticker for you guys. Uh, 
because anyone who believes that this is part of the grand Soros left-wing conspiracy, we should have a bumper sticker that says Democrats too dumb to govern because anyone who thinks this is the best way to bring down Donald Trump is just dumb. Mark, I, I got made the moderator this week, so I have to be the middle of the road guy. So I'm going to go and and pull the John McLaughlin and say, you're wrong. This case shouldn't have been brought. And I'm going to side with both Ted Cruz and Van Jones in saying that this case should not have been brought forward. But, uh, you know, it's... Thank uh, you, Howard. We appreciate thanks. Uh, yeah, you channeling bet. Howard from his assignment. We won't throw him under the bus. On assignment. Or under the plane, we should say, since exactly. he's in the air right now. <laughs> Towner and Caitlin, I mean, did anybody notice how quickly Mark actually seemed logical for once. And then all of a sudden he must have gotten like a, a, a quick I got a text. You know, email or a text from George Soros. Yeah, George. And Soros yeah. said, I said I agree with him. Then he felt yeah. like he had to walk away. Right. I, you exactly. know what, Caitlin, hey, don't ever make that mistake again. George, <laughs> Clearly, George don't texted me. George and I are pals from Nantucket, of course. We we spend time together. You summer. That, you summer. That's where, yeah, that the conspiracy is centered, of course, on on Nantucket. Of so I got it. How, how, how do you hide him as a client? Because he's not on our list. It's a lair underground on Nantucket. Yeah. You, <laughs> right, right. We're in a former missile silo. <laughs> All right. Jump ball for the group. We didn't talk about this beforehand. But was this the worst possible week for Ron DeSantis? You had all of Florida or all of the House Republicans in Orlando uh, theoretically singing his praises. All they can talk about is Trump while they're down there. He flip flops on Ukraine uh, in the middle of the week. And I don't think anybody actually saw it because of all the Trump discussion. Was this was this a bad week for Ron DeSantis and a great week for Donald Trump, essentially? I don't think it was all that bad of a week for Ron DeSantis. And I personally think he got a little educated on the Ukraine issue and heard from a lot of folks that were concerned. And I didn't see it as he, he'll say that his original Ukraine comments were kind of taken out of context. That means flip flop, um, Kate. Okay. Well. <laughs> Uh, I look on this one. I'm happy he flip flopped. If indeed it was yes. a flip flop, yeah. Ron DeSantis is uh, this is the education of Ron DeSantis that we are seeing in real time, and he has stepped onto a stage where he's never been before. And I, I think this is the kind of week we are going to see from him as he develops uh, as a candidate. But it would surprise me a lot. You guys, again, are are on the ground with this. I'm watching from the other side of some aisle. But uh, nobody's going to care, are they, once the voting starts, that he flip-flopped a year earlier on Ukraine? I mean, it could be an issue. I'll be honest with you. During my primary in, in Western Illinois, I was surprised that that uh, there was such adamant opposition to sending military aid to Ukraine. It's an issue in the Republican primary with a certain sect of voters. It's it's our own far right problem that the left has had with Bernie Sanders on the far left for years. And that populist type of, of issue is not going to go away as a Republican primary and the votes and, and, and the election days get closer. But DeSantis, I think, to be honest with you, not being in the spotlight this past week was probably helpful 
anytime that you are successful in, in, in governing a state like Florida, then you can lean just on the issues that are happening in your state and not have to, to answer the national political questions. I, I think, I think frankly, um, Ron, his initial Ukraine comments, I agree with Caitlin, were somehow construed that they were completely anti-Ukraine. I mean, you can have an accountability message and still be supportive of, of fighting dictators like Vladimir Putin. So the clarification of the comments happened. It didn't get a lot of attention. And frankly, for his presidential ambitions, guys, I think it's better for him rather than being on that stage against Trump all the time. All right. We're going to move on from our weekly 15 minutes on Donald Trump uh, and uh, turn attention to Capitol Hill, where where everything was about TikTok yesterday. Uh, five hour hearing. I don't know if any of us watched all five hours of it. I think I made it through about four. Uh, but it was a it was an explosive hearing as one uh, as Buddy Carter from Georgia, a Republican from Georgia, said, you've done something remarkable. You've united the Energy and Commerce Committee uh, in opposition on an issue. And and sure enough, it was. Uh, there are very few members of Congress that are willing to step up right now and say they support TikTok in any way, shape or form, or at least support less uh, sanction than than maybe a ban uh, is concerned. How are we? Where do we think this is going uh, as far as legislation is concerned or or how are we how are we thinking this is going to move forward in the Energy and Commerce Committee and then and then potentially in the Senate? Rodney, do you want to tackle? It, it, it was an interesting hearing. I, I watched a good amount of it uh, in between our great sandwiches from the new sandwich, uh, not a new sandwich shop, but the one we discovered down the street Delicious. from our office. Bub and um, Pops. Uh, wait, I got to stop uh, you right there. Tell me. Delicious. Bob and Pops. I, I saw Bob and Pops on a, a repeat of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives last weekend. And then I Googled where it was, and it's a block from us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and we went down there yesterday, Caitlin Towner and I, and, and we each got one different sandwich, and they were yeah. all great. They yeah. were all great. Did so, they serve Democrats also? If I they, go, they'll they let do. me in? Yeah. Okay. It's it's on M Street here, so they, they're just surrounded by, by every Democrat you could possibly imagine. Okay. This I think this may be the most important breaking news that this podcast has ever had. It could most be. All three of us had to take a nap afterward. <laughs> <laughs> well, most of the Democrats, are, I mean, obviously Washington, D.C. is probably the most Democratic city in the nation. But most don't make it past the strip joint to go two doors down to the Bob <laughs> and guys. So we'll just have to walk you around on the other side yeah, of the block. Yeah, okay. Well, I look forward to that. But it's actually a really good neighborhood, everybody. This, I don't want to make it sound in the <laughs> podcast world like we're uh, like our offices are in, in a very bad part of town. <laughs> and, and to be fair, it didn't look like the strip joint was open at noon. So I interrupted you, Rodney. You were going to give us a tutorial on TikTok. Look, that, that was a hearing I think nobody was surprised by. Um, I frankly have, have gone through a lot of hearings in my career. Uh, I served on three committees, and I've never seen one that adversarial. Um, you know, it, it could have gone a lot better for the CEO. Uh, it didn't. But I was, a little, I was a little surprised that colleagues on both sides of the aisle were given the old yes or no. You know, give me a yes or no answer. Well, it's a little more complicated than that. And, and in the end, um, in the end, you know, what's going to be the outcome? 
they have 150 million users in America of TikTok. And at, at some point, are you, is it going to be a slippery slope if, if the, the platform is banned? Or, or can you make it better? And, and, and that's where I don't believe the CEO was given an opportunity to talk about what they were trying to do that's different than some of the other tech platforms. I mean, at some point, at some point, if this is happening to, to a TikTok, when you, you take the, you got to take the CEO at his, at his word where he said, we don't deal with the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, I don't think anybody believed that. Um, but you got to be able to present that as evidence. But in the end, in the end, you got to also be given a fair shake to explain what is actually happening to the company rather than a constant barrage of answer me yes or no and reclaiming my time. Those those are usually performance shows rather than productive. Yeah, I mean, you you could see it on display yesterday. It was the worst of of what congressional hearings can be. When you go in as a member of Congress with an agenda, you give your soliloquy. You say, "I have limited time, so I'm going to ask just a couple, you know, rapid fire yes or no questions." And then you ask, you know, sort of a, a question that would require a ten to twenty minute response to be able to get an actual answer. You know, technical questions about the algorithm and things like that. Yes or no? Is it does it work or not? And you know, the the net result is is a, a bit of a show trial uh, that happened in in the Energy and Commerce Committee yesterday. Whether it was it was uh, a good thing to happen or not, it was still a show trial in the Energy and Commerce Committee. And and to Rodney's point, you have 150 million Americans well, that use the platform. I, apart from the content, which is. I know a big word in TikTok world, but apart from the content, I, I just find it interesting, fascinating, confusing, frankly. The, the House of Representatives, your house, Rodney and Ben Towner, is the people's house. The founders framed it so that the people would be represented and heard there. You have such division on just about everything, including what day of the week it is. But here you had unanimity, unanimity. Both sides of the aisle to a man and woman are agreed on, on TikTok, agreed that TikTok is a threat to the republic. And yet 150 million Americans have already voted with their phones that TikTok is just fine by them. There's a, a real disconnect between the people's house and the people on this. Yeah. Is this a, Caitlin, is this like a protectionist thing that Congress is trying to do? Is this like a parental oversight saying, hey, you know, we, we know better uh, than you all? No, I mean, look, I was a little surprised the CEO wasn't he he walked in, he made some, in my view, unforced errors and he walked into some Questions he should have been really well prepared for. It was really striking to me when he was asked directly about China spying on journalists. And he said, well, I wouldn't call it that. I mean, those, uh, I, no, I don't think it's Congress. I, I think we're trying to get to the bottom of something. I think there's a lot of good in what TikTok is trying to do with Project Texas. And they need to just explain it better. And I was just surprised at some of the unforced errors, you know, that, that were made yesterday. And look, they didn't do themselves any favors. Follow-up question. Uh, Republicans seem to be 
you know, certainly on the populist side, walking away from the war in Ukraine, uh, walking away from sort of an anti, even those who are anti-Russia, some have walked away from from involvement in Ukraine or, or advocated for less U.S. involvement uh, in Ukraine. At the same time, stepping up the anti-China message uh, quite a bit in Congress. And it seems like 50 percent of the issues in Congress right now are, are countering China. Uh, more than anything else. The CHIPS Act passed last year. We're, we're subsidizing semiconductor production. We're, we're doing a lot of different things to, to counter uh, any sort of Chinese influence. How does, does this fall in? And is there going to be any ramification to the rest of the social media spectrum? Or is this a narrow China issue more than anything else? Caitlin or Rodney? I think, uh, I think, when it comes to the other tech platforms, I think this is a slippery slope. Uh, you know, Caitlin and I were having a conversation yesterday. Uh, a lot of the focus at that hearing was on how China actually said, hey, we don't think TikTok should have to, you know, divest from ByteDance, et cetera. And my point to Caitlin was, well, if China was asking an American company to divest, American government would say, hey, we don't think you should do that. So I don't necessarily see that as, as such a nefarious thing happening. However, however, there has to be a better explanation of what Project Texas is, how they plan to prove uh, with, with data, uh, how data is not being shared with anyone in the, 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 the Communist Party of China. And if they are a private company that is privately run, as the CEO stated in his opening statement, um, and, and stated numerous times when asked about his own personal salary, et cetera. And, 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 you know, that's his right. It is a private company. But you ought to be able to lay that out and say, here's what we're doing to make this platform the safest American protected platform in the country or in the world. And if they're not able to do that, then that's going to be a continued problem as this moves on to a Senate debate. And, and don't underestimate, you know, the Senate and the Senate staffers that watch that hearing. And, and now they want one of their own. Yeah. So they're they're going to be they're going to be licking their chops to, to get the CEO over on the Senate side with an unlimited amount of question time with with those folks. So um, it's going to be interesting to see where it moves. And I think TikTok as a company has some, has a lot of data they need to put forth to kind of push back a little bit. Otherwise, it, it's it's not looking good for them policy-wise on Capitol Hill. But what does Joe Biden do? Yeah, and that's the question I was going to ask Mark next is, what, what does Joe Biden do? This is, it feels generational. Uh, it feels like a generational divide. I think most uh, folks under 30, I think most folks under 40 in this country sort of feel like everybody in the world has their data about them anyway. So so who cares? And that's partly why 150 million Americans have, have TikTok on their phones. Um, but Joe Biden's in a real bind here, I think. You know, Democrats being the, the younger generation party always, uh, uh, you know, it's going to have a greater influence. A, a ban is going to have a greater influence, certainly on, on Democratic politics and also Democratic voting electorate, I would imagine. Is there, what does the White House do here? Well, and if I could jump in just for a second, the irony, the irony here that the same week Biden is expressing outrage about TikTok and warning Americans about TikTok, and saying he supports a ban, his administration's going on TikTok. Right. He's going on TikTok to make announcements. They're inviting TikTok influencers 
to the White House to explain the rollout of COVID vaccine. I mean, the irony here is a little, sorry, Mark, I had to. No, but. I I think it is ironic. I think they are trying to walk a tightrope where on the one side, they're against Chinese spying on uh, American journalists. And on the other side, this is a tool, is a very, very powerful political tool. And the Democrats are trying to use it. Exactly as you said, uh, Caitlin, I don't I don't think the Biden administration is going to do anything. I think they're hoping that the focus will stay on Capitol Hill. And if Congress sends him something, then then he's going to have to decide. But I, I'd be very surprised if the administration itself took executive action without Congress uh, resolving this first. It, it is. It, it, the, the, the ironies abound. Uh, Joe Biden uh, and I, for that matter, are not generationally well suited to figure this thing out. I, I will admit that. Well, and, and I find it fascinating, too. We need kids uh, like the three of you to sort this out for us. <laughs> Well, one of the things I find absolutely fascinating is there is a law on the books preventing, to a certain extent, the Biden administration from banning TikTok outright. Uh, and it was put onto the books uh, years ago because we didn't want to ban uh, additional influence or or uh, flow of information to and from from Russia uh, at the at the back end of the Cold War, especially. And so uh, that was uh, that was yeah. a. a a thing we didn't want to have happen is to limit the flow of global information uh, so as to get the message of democracy out uh, in, in most cases. And now we're we're obviously considering shuttering uh, from coming in. But it, but it is to another point you made, Towner, it's further evidence that this is the Chinese century. For better or worse, China is, is dominating the agenda and, and has for a couple of decades and will for for a number more. So in, in, uh, fairness, in fairness to TikTok, a, a lot of what, you know, the China issue aside, which again, I think <clears throat> the CEO could have, could have and should have been a little more prepared on some of those points. But the questions they were getting about content moderation, about violence on the platform, about teenagers and eating disorders and it driving, you know, suicide rates. Those are the exact same questions that Instagram and Meta could have been asked so I do think it was a little unfair to make it seem like, you know, t TikTok isn't really any different from what's going on with Instagram and Facebook. And you could have had all of them up there on a panel getting grilled on many of those same questions as it relates to violence and addiction and, um, you know, mental health issues for, for adolescents. Absolutely. It's a it's a great divide for TikTok has not only the China issue, but then the social media writ large issue. Right. Uh, of of freedom of speech and and you know content moderation and things along those lines. Um, I do want to uh, since since I get to be the moderator because Howard's out. I want to introduce a new uh, weekly uh, snippet. Uh, I'd like to since we now have uh, Congressman Davis. Uh, in fact, I'll call him Catcher Davis as he is the most uh, the past catcher of the GOP for the congressional baseball game, which uh, I believe is June 14th. Rodney, you told me uh, is is the congressional baseball game this year. Uh, I was alerted to the fact that Rodney was up at 6 a.m. this morning practicing. Uh, he is going to be a coach for this year's Republican team, and for those. 
uh, outside of the Beltway or even inside the Beltway who've not been to the congressional baseball game, it is an absolute blast. It is it is a lobbyist dream to a certain degree as well. You have staff and members there uh, and lobbyists. There's 20-something thousand people uh, that watch this game in, in Nationals Park uh, every summer. And, uh, and so, Rodney, I wanted to turn the floor over. Can you give us an update uh, not only on the game, but how's the how's the GOP team looking? Uh, and if you have any scouting uh, about the Democratic team, we take that as well. Well, thank you. The congressional baseball game is uh, one of the most bipartisan fun events I've ever been a part of. And as my, as my time spent as a staffer for 16 years, I never attended the game. Um, I was always in Illinois and I would I would kind of keep tabs on it via text. But I got my chance to play in it when I got elected. And it's a bunch of old guys playing real baseball on a major league stadium. And women. And women. And women. women. Yes, this is a this is men and women are allowed to play. And in the end, we have senators, we have House members. uh, But in the end, uh, this is a game that raises a lot of money for local D.C. charities. and ever since the baseball shooting, which is now going to be six years ago when we were on the field on June 14th of 2017, uh, it's been over a million dollars every year that's gone toward DC charities. I've never been in the crowd. So I can tell you from a dugout perspective, um, nobody on the field at practice every morning that's that we're in DC and nobody in that dugout is talking about any political issue whatsoever. It is 100% focused on on playing a game and winning that game for your side. We practice at 6 a.m. here in Washington, D.C., which means on Roger Williams, Coach Roger Williams' time, that means you better be there by 540 in the morning. And you would be shocked how many members of Congress probably wouldn't get up to go to a pancake and sausage breakfast back home are in Jack Bergman's van driving to the stadium where the lights are on and we're practicing in the dark and in a little bit of drizzle this morning. Now, I will tell you the Republicans, we have kind of aged down a bit. So we have better, more athletic players. We've won the last two years. Uh, I anticipate a big win once again, but I will tell you uh, some of our new players, Brad Finstead is going to be a phenomenal player for us. Eric Schmidt, Senator Schmidt is playing with us too. Uh, Eric, if you listen to this podcast, which I know you probably won't uh, get to practice. I want to see you play, Uh, but we got Morgan Luttrell who's, who's taken my spot at the catching at the catching spot. Uh, Got a good young team. However, the Democrats also picked up some young folks too. I was talking to Pete Aguilar last night about it, and um, they're pretty confident that they've got some new folks like Chris Deluzio, uh, uh-huh. who uh, they're, they're pretty high on. But Coach Linda Sanchez, since Mike Doyle retired, uh, she has yet to start practices, but she's going to be probably, I would say, somewhat a little more, a little more harsh than Mike Doyle was. Mike Doyle, players manager. Linda Sanchez, hates losing like I do. And they're going to practice probably a lot harder like we do. And maybe it'll be a good game. All right. All right. That sounds great. We're going to want some scouting reports over the next uh, several weeks as you guys are practicing. And, you know, we'll. uh, Can I say one thing I did forget? You know, who came to practice practice today and practiced? Reg Stubbe. Oh, 
Good. He's doing better. Congressman from Florida who, uh, you know, very unfortunately fell off a ladder at his house and broke his back, I believe, uh, broke a vertebrae or something. Vertebrae hit his head, which clearly was the hardest part on his body, if you know Greg, um, and also had uh, hurt his hip. But mm. if you had been at the field this morning and watched him throw, because he's our starting pitcher, wow. if you'd have watched him throw, you would have had no idea that he fell 25 feet from a ladder and was knocked out and, and almost had a very tragic situation. Yeah. And this wasn't just, this wasn't six months ago. This was like six two months. months ago. Yeah, this is like six to eight weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's amazing recovery Incredible. and uh, he, he's he's back at it. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Mark, Caitlin, Rodney. Really appreciate it. Great podcast this week. Uh, thank you all. And we'll look forward to seeing everybody next week. Take care. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.